Welcome to the Change Africa podcast, where we bring you stories of inspiring individuals and thought leaders leading Africa's transformation. I'm your host, Isaac Kujudenu Abwa, and together with my co-host, Daniel Merki, we'll be exploring diverse perspectives, challenges, and opportunities for growth and development on the continent every week. Each episode, we delve into a different aspect of African life, featuring knowledgeable and engaging guests who provide unique insights and a fresh perspective on the issues affecting the continent across a wide range of topics from economics to culture and social issues. So whether you're already well-versed in African affairs or you're just starting to explore this fascinating and complex part of the world, the Change Africa podcast is an excellent resource for you. Sit back and enjoy another thought-provoking discussion that will inform and challenge you to expand your understanding of Africa. Hello everyone, my name is Isaac Kojodenoaboy and welcome to the Change Africa podcast with my usual co-host Daniel Merki. And today we have another exciting conversation for you and we're talking media, new media and the new money that has been made from the internet age. And we're doing that with one of the OGs of internet blogging in Ghana, Ameo Deborah, who is an influencer, an Africa pop culture curator, entertainment and lifestyle blogger and the creator of Ameo TV and Ameo Debra Media. Ameo Kisi Debra, welcome to the Changing Africa podcast. Thank you so much. Excellent. So if you are listening to the Changing Africa podcast and you are from Ghana, you probably know the name Ameo Debra is synonymous to blogging. So it's basically as old as time when it comes to media and blogging in Ghana. So Question is, as far back as you were studying publishing in KNUST, what was the interest then for you to go into blogging? Because those were the very early days of internet in Ghana, obviously. The internet has had been a thing globally, but Ghana specifically, you not know, a lot of people were going into that space and there were probably a few outlets there. Can you tell us about the state of the internet and media online media at the time, and what piqued your interest into the space? When I was in KNUST, for me, it was pretty much going to learn, get the basic uh, knowledge when it comes to publishing, and then see what that would lead to. Because also, I had plans with my father to start uh, some sort of a publishing business. But later on, unfortunately, right after school, he passed away, and so all of that could not happen. But... Uh, the interest for the internet started while I was there, and I remember I was somebody who was always on the internet. Back then, you, you would just go look for news, look for Manchester United updates, surf a few websites, and, and all of that. And fortunately for me, when just when I was about to finish uh, publishing studies, the course structure was was changing because. In the past, it had always been book public, bookmaking, bookmaking, but they had seen the trends and wanted to diversify it and bring in a bit of the digital and online publishing components as well. So in my year group, they introduced an online publishing course and I came up tops because I had they made us design uh, like a mock website and how I did it, the navigation, usability, everything was, was, was great. It wasn't like because I, I knew how to create it, but because 
from the user's user end, I had uh, really used a number of websites. And so I knew what would work when I had to create one for myself. Then I really started looking into the internet space a lot more when I finished university. And within the year of completing, that was when mobile phones now also were introducing internet for users. And so that really changed the, la the landscape because now I didn't, I remember back home, you had to use a dial-up and uh, before you finish the bill at the end of the month was so high that your parents were always complaining about you using internet. But when it moved onto the phone, it really made it a lot more accessible, uh, not just about being on the go, but in terms of everything being in one place, you could do what you wanted with it also. So uh, for me, I, I, I pretty much started as a user, 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 until later on, I decided to use it for work. Fortunately for me, as a user, around that time, social media was, was speaking. And so I used social me media to build networks up to the point when I started really publishing and I plugged everything together for it to work, I guess, for my good. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what I would say about my introduction to internet use in Ghana and how I started. Was it something that people aspired to be, to be an online blogger at the time? Well, at the time, at the very, very early stages, I will say no, because even me, myself, I didn't know what, it, what online blogging was. But for me, I found myself basically online, connecting with people, creating a, a variety of content. And that was that introduction. So a lot of it was people feeling that, oh, Amiya is everywhere. At every show, he's there. At every moment, he's there. He's capturing it. He's interacting with people. We would like to meet celebrities. We would like to meet. So that was the initial sort of uh, build-up. But I was working on a project online and got the opportunity to go to South Africa, Rose University, to go and speak about the project we are doing. So it was at this summit, the Highway Africa Summit, that we had different people from all, all over the world, talking about the digital space, what was happening. And that was when I really took a mental note of the blogging culture. Because people had come, they were sharing their experiences, their various countries and their various regions. And I was like, hey, I'm doing something like this already back home. So perhaps when I get back to Ghana, let me now present myself also as a blogger and then see where it leads to. So uh, for me, that's how the concept of blogging started for me. And when I did that, I realized that later on, more people wanted to join. Young people would reach out to me and say they like what I was doing. Could they work with me? How, how can they also start something like that? And I would share a little bit, bit of advices with them. And uh, I'm happy a years, some few years down the line, I've seen a lot of them have emerged doing one thing or the other, and they're very successful at doing it. So, yes, that's what I would say. In terms of trends, right, if you reflect on the journey of how the online digital media space has evolved, what was more popular at the time and how 
do you just oppose that with the present? What were the kind of articles that were being written or the formats that were being explored? And how do you see that evolving over the past 15 years while you've been actively involved in this space? Yes, I, I think when I started, I, I, I put a lot of emphasis on the website and blogging was also built around that, whether you're using Blogspot or your own self-hosted domain. Blogging back then was more about the platforms you owned or you, you had. But I've also seen that over the years, blogging is sort of transforming. Uh, it's being seen as what happens on social media platforms. And it has also, by some way, influenced how the consumers behave. And so I realized that people now readily want to consume content that is on the social media platforms that they are part of, rather than now going externally to read uh, articles on websites, etc. And so uh, the landscape has changed in terms of what is content, which formats are being used, and which platforms these formats sit on. Whereas in the past, it was for me more building the website, people primarily now going to the website and then plugging it into social media so that people will click and go and read. I see that the trends are changing. People are reading less, less on websites. People are using more, engaging more content on social media platforms. There was a part that, a point that apps were also becoming cool in terms of apps for websites and content creators, but I don't think it took off so much because the Ghanaian consumers really pretty much like uh, what already exists instead of going to now go and download Amir Debra's news app and then consume the, the, the content from the app. So these are some of the trends I've seen uh, in terms of when we started. Now there's, there's more gearing towards content on social media now and users... Uh, and consumers are engaging more with those content than from elsewhere. Social media as a dominant media platform was a thing that you preceded. Because when you started, I assume when you started around 2005, 2007, thereabouts, Facebook was, I think, I'm not sure how Facebook was dominant as a media platform that people used back then. Obviously, I remember Facebook kind of blowing up maybe in the early 2010s, at least in Ghana. Twitter too in 2009 when Twitter was formed. 2009 was where Twitter kind of gained that popularity where a lot of people started joining. And you were already there. At a the point, did you envisage the importance of social media applications and what was the general reception there as against the dominant online media platforms like the blogs that were really the channel for new sources. The moment I realized that these social media outlets platforms were going to be integral, uh, I realized that it was important for me to have presence, grow that presence right from the beginning. And so for me, I knew these were tools, vehicles that I would use to connect with more people, engage with more people, and then grow. So my strategy was always, if something I knew something was going to be popular, or there was that buzz, mine was to get in early, grow with it. And uh, looking back, I realized that that has really, really 
really, really helped. I mean, the first social media platform that I joined was High Five uh, back in the day. And I got a lot of uh, followers and connected with different people from my various schools to back back in the day, as well as new people. And so I remember I even moved to Facebook by feeling that I was stressed out because I kept getting notifications in my email that your friend, this friend is here, is inviting you. So I always didn't give it so much mind. But one day, I think probably it was a friend I really wanted to connect with. And so when I got that notification, I was like, hey, let me just give it a try. And then I joined. Of course, Facebook grew, grew from that point to what it is now. And for me as a publisher, I realized that Facebook is still key because in terms of referrals back to the website, etc., the audiences there engage a lot more with the content. They will click to go and find out what it is about if it's not within the platform. Whereas a platform such as Twitter, it's a lot of talking. And so people, when they see the content, they rather talk around it rather than click to read or engage further with it. So yes, uh, social media right from the beginning, I, I, I sort of saw it becoming a big thing. So mine was to, to grow with it so that I don't get left behind. Well, well you, you talked about High Five. Were there other platforms that came out of the blue and also disappeared? And for, how did you choose, how did you envisage platforms that were going to stay for the long haul and platforms that were not? The thing is, you couldn't really tell which would, which would have that longevity and which wouldn't. But like I said, for me, once everything was hot, I was jumping on it and seeing what I could grow to become on that platform. So I remember there was MySpace. And uh, at that point, a lot of musicians uh, were on there. And so what I did was I connected with a lot of uh, Ghanaian artists, I remember someone like One Love, I first connected with him on MySpace. Michael Blackson, I connected with him on, on, on MySpace up to the point where when he was coming to Ghana to perform for the first time, we felt like we knew each other. And so, uh, unfortunately, MySpace fell off and became something else, I believe. But for me, at every, every, every platform that I get on, I try to see what I can use it for immediately and also in the future so if those platforms are in for the long haul and they stay for the long haul then i'm able to explore further the platform themselves change i mean for some of us that jumped onto twitter early facebook earlier there are some things that we miss because at, the, at that time it was so much about just engaging with the right people but now it's become so big you have to deal with algorithms, who gets seen, uh, what content people see, and all of that. So as the platforms evolve, they change in so many ways. But for us, we try to remain consistent and be in the good algorithm so that we're able to maximize it through uh, that journey of the various platforms. You, you bring up a couple of things. One is the friendships that you build on social media, Second, I'm very interested in is algorithms. Again, all of these things are things that you preceded. So first is that network on social media. 
which are some of the most influential networks that you built on social media before, obviously, physical interaction and that kind of help with your career or building reputation and your work generally? Yes, uh, you found that typically I'm a very shy person. And so I, I usually use social media to break the ice. Uh, somebody will follow me, I'll follow the person, we exchange messages and then now we feel like we know each other even before we meet. And so for me, a lot of the connections that I made through social media were important because I, I, I kept the relationship. Uh, if somebody posted something and I saw it, I commented, I liked it, I, I made, I, I loved. And so that connect, it, it's not just like it's social media and I'm just there, uh, I, I connect with people. And in terms of the connections, it's been amazing. I can't cite specific ones, but sometimes it's somebody knowing you and then saying that oh, if you need somebody who is doing something in this space, he's a guy to look at, contact, and before you know it, <laughs> you've built this amazing network. And I just even don't know, I can't begin to pretend that I know how it happens. But um, for me, building and establ establishing these networks and keeping it uh, is quite important to me. And I think that has served me very well this far. When you talk about algorithms, help us demystify algorithms. At what point did you see the influence of algorithms on social media readership, the audience, and the messaging? And how has that changed over the years to become a principal way the technology enables activation on the platform, enables people to grow or otherwise? Because this is something that for people who are not really social media experts or have ingrained themselves in social media, they don't know how it works. But people always complain that the algorithm has changed and it's favoring them in different ways. How do you justify that? The, the certain is you can't really tell because things keep changing and you learn and unlearn so quickly in the space. But I mean, we can understand that when there's a a platform with so many people on it. When you, you make a post, when you do something, there will be a struggle as to what you see, at what point. And so these platforms, by some metric, are able to say and push content through different feeds on that level. And we cannot figure it out. I mean, there's some point, sometimes they'll tell you use hashtag. Now they say, it's not so important on some platforms. So it, we really, really don't know. But sometimes what we can do is create a, our content, be as organic as possible, and use basic tools like tagging people who may see and engage with this so it, it grows further. These are some of the things I do. Sometimes I post something at a time, it doesn't work so well. I delete it and then I repost it and then this time it's working. So it, it, it's, 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 it's something I can't, I haven't figured out. But sometimes to, if you're more analytical, you can look into insights or analytics and see what the trends are because I also want to believe that the platforms also use these 
insights to sort of know and put you somewhere. So sometimes if you look into the in analytics, sometimes you can see that within the week, continuously your articles do well on certain days and at certain times. So maybe that can inform you that maybe this is what has been cut out for me that I should do and it will work intensively algorithm. It's a difficult thing to crack. I tried not to think about it too much. Uh, just do what I have to do and see ways that I feel work and then repeat it. And if it doesn't, I try something else. So rightfully so, it's quite uh, difficult to figure out uh, these platforms and what you're looking out for. Yeah, you mentioned it's quite difficult to figure out these platforms. And I was also, yeah, we have spoken about Hi-Fi, Facebook, Twitter, all kinds of platforms. So maybe now in terms of your maybe strongholds and maybe the content you publish and also maybe the the audience you receive, are there differences in terms of the platforms? And then from your perspective, is there maybe different types of contents that you push on different platforms or how do you differentiate between those? Uh, you realize that each platform is quite separate. Even if you look at the makeup of the platforms themselves, some are done to promote conversations, to, to promote discussions and topics. Some are meant to pro project more visual content, etc. So I keep telling people, is you just have to work with each platform and see what works in your case best. Uh, I've noticed that when I allow people to have conversations, uh, talk about trends of the day, topics of the day, a platform like Twitter engages, allows, it, allows for more conversation than, say, a platform like Facebook or, or even Instagram. Facebook, you feel more of a family and friend connection. And so you are able, when you engage with people, you, you, you do it on the sense like these people feel like they, they know you, you know them. And so the conversations are on a certain level generally. Whereas Instagram, for instance, uh, is good for good visuals, visual content, pictures, videos. Uh, and even we've, we've realized that per their own decisions, they've been pushing things like reels a lot more than other content or formats on the platforms. So there's always that what we want to do versus what the platform embraces and wants to push for whatever corporate or whatever decision that they may have. So we, we always have to look with that eye and see what we want to achieve. I, 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 I try to play around in general. So on Facebook, Twitter, you would see content from my website because I share links in addition to video content that we may create every now and then. And then sometimes I just do engagement posts so that I just get people interacting with posts. It may be something very random, but just to, to have people engage with the page, I do these engagement posts to get these things going. So rightly so, all the platforms are quite different. Uh, we, we must understand 
and know what we want to use each platform for. We had a guest in season four, so in our last season, um, Alfred Samba, and he has been uh, into the social media space, has worked with different brands like Gymshark and others. And a lot of what you're saying gives me flashbacks to that conversation. So I remembered there was a point where he was also referring to people underestimating the, the, the strength of social media as a listening tool. So I w- would like to understand maybe also from your perspective, is there a component where you also kind of use social media as a listening tool for feedback and then in terms of content, not just in terms of engagement, but to find that out and how you let that influence maybe your work and what you create. When it comes to publishing, one key difference between traditional publishing and media is the feedback. So social media allows for us to listen to what people are saying about our brand, about ourselves, and then we are able to pick off that to improve whatever we're doing. And so I'm somebody, I pay attention, I listen, I engage and get that feedback. And also as somebody who creates content, uh, I sometimes just have to listen to what people are saying, not perhaps about me, but about the topic of the day, talks, uh, politics of the day, whatever, so that that in itself can also become a form of content that I would recreate. So that listening is very important. And that's what a platform like Twitter allows you to do. Because even if you are not using tools to pick up what the conversations are, at least you have a trend button that sort of aggregates topics and discussions for you to zoom in and see what what is happening. And so, yes, I really it's important for us to use uh, social media as a listening tools, either to build our brand or to, in my case, even sometimes create content based on what it is. Sometimes I've created content where I've asked questions, I've done polls, and people give specific re- uh, response that I'm able to now use to create some sort of content. If we were to put the Ghana media space, digital space, into I think, momentary snapshots, right? If you were to take put a timeline, what do you think will be the pivotal moments from the time that you started to date? What were some of the things that really shaped um, new movements, shaped how content distribution was, shaped um, new trends? If What are some of those things at the top of your mind if you think around that from a an event-based perspective? Just the growth in use of internet, social media tools, as platforms, is landmark like that, that, that makes everything quite easy. I also would say perhaps platforms like uh, Twitter, especially for news, content, aggregation, and all of that, has really helped people to to, to to be heard, to have a voice. We've seen 
some there's a time where a movement such as Doomsome Must Stop was sort of pivoted on these platforms and it became things that really helped uh, in terms of shaping or creating awareness about a national issue such as electricity and getting it or not getting it. So these are some of the maybe moments that I can remember. But for me, just the fact that there is that growth in the use of internet amongst the populace is, is, is significant. I guess in the beginning of the discussion, I mentioned when internet now was not just from dial-up or whatever, but we, we now had it on our phone. I think for me, that was a good uh, change maker, if, if that's the word. And that allowed for a lot of the things that we are enjoying now to be effective. If we remain in the dark and didn't make that technology assess accessible, a lot of things we are enjoying now, we wouldn't have. And I think it has come to really open up Ghana, Ghanaian users to the rest of the world. Sometimes something is happening around the world. We say something and our voice is heard everywhere. We've had celebrities respond to us. We've had people, global leaders, talk about issues that affect us directly. And so these are some of the few highlights in general sense that I can, I, I, I can mention. You forgot the Change Africa podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That, that that's also very important in in the mix. It's yeah, it's a bit out of conversation, but it's like I have to mention it because you being on the podcast is kind of a landmark for me because I had a friend and when I first told him that I'm that I'm want to do a podcast and I was joining forces with Isaac, the first person he mentioned that we should have on the podcast was you. And that was, I can remember, it was at uh, Vida Cafe uh, in East Legon. And then there was a time you shared, you shared like, uh, I think our lunch, I'm not sure, I think it was for season four. And he immediately messaged me that, you see what we spoke about, and uh, he's now reposting it. And then today is the day that you're actually on the podcast. Yeah, but that's a bit out of conversation. I think Isaac had a question. It's, a, it's an honor to be on the podcast uh, also. So let's talk about video. I think one of the early signs that video was going to be a huge part of online culture was definitely YouTube, mm -hmm. but with virality was Vine. Vine really took yeah. <laughs> shots video to a ridiculous online appeal, mm -hmm. but then it suddenly died off. But then that culture eventually came up. What is your history with video? Because you tell your story that you work with some of the big media platforms in Ghana, including Yen, including Ghana Web, including Pulse, and you saw that video was going to be a big thing that eventually cemented your decision to start an Ameyao TV. What is your take historically on the evolution of media and video in that sense? Yes, I, I think, like you said, uh, rightly so. I remember the days of Vines on Twitter. Uh, those short format videos were really cool. And most of the time, it came out from out there and then we embraced it. For me, it took me a while to be a fan of short videos because 
most of the time I call it Gen Z content. A lot of it is ridiculousness that just blows up and everybody is 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 hopping onto it. Whereas I like to take my time and create some sort of content that necessarily doesn't fit into 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 those spaces. And so it took me a while to get on even TikTok. I think right now TikTok is the leader in those formats and going viral in that sense. It took me a while to get on there. And even when I'm there, I still want to maintain my voice and do what I want and not do what the platform. So it's crazy. But like you're saying, the realization came after working with particularly Pulse.com and uh, Yen because those companies were, were from Europe. And so they came in with a lot of analysis, knowledge, about what these platforms were pushing. Uh, some of them have in, uh, connections to know uh, what is good, what actually they must do and stay within algorithms and all of that. So when I was leaving Yen, I was like, they, 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 as a country manager, they gave a lot of documents for me to study and implement. So I was like, after going through all of these things, it's re- and I was saying it that those video formats really would be the future, and so that's when I I I, I decided to come up with Amir TV. And again, even Amir TV has gone through a lot of growth because we started, and I was coming in with a mentality that what I've been successful with in terms of AmirDebra.com, if I replicate it in terms of content, I will see that same level of success and then quickly i found out that it's a different ball game altogether and we've been adjusting the last five years trying new content uh, seeing what works what doesn't work and it's a difficult thing to crack especially if you also don't want to do everything that everybody else is doing uh, then you must understand that your growth will be a certain way and uh, it may be a lot more gradual than those who are creating viral content uh, because it, it, it hurts me that you have to sit down and say, I'm going to create a viral content. I think content should be content and if it grows, people like it, it just it just goes. So yes, uh, in terms of video, that's what, that, that, that's what I would say. What has been your greatest learning in building Amaya TV? Now, obviously you've talked about the evolution that Amaya TV itself had have to, uh, has had to go through and the difficulties. Can you shed some light on pivotal moments, difficulties that you have to go through, the insights in creating a media company that's focused on video and what you've learned from that and what you would give as recommendations for people who are thinking about doing that now because still video is raining. My number one advice would be if you are thinking about starting, you should start now. Don't wait because... The earlier you start, it all goes through a, a growing curve. So you should start early, give it time for, for it to grow, for people to see and connect with the kind of content you're doing. And then maybe in the next, in the second or third year, you see some sort of real growth also. So my first advice would be don't wait. If the idea comes, start, try. You know, sometimes when you're a creative person, in your mind, you think what you're creating is amazing. Put it out there and then you realize that people are not 
engaging with it as much. And then you start looking at what people are doing, learn, you tweak a little bit, uh, you listen to comments here and there, and then you improve along. Some people are waiting to get the biggest camera before they start, but content, video content has People have shown us that you don't need all of that. Sometimes all you need is a phone, good lighting, good sound, and you are able to do something great. Do something you love. I always keep telling people, when you do something you're passionate about, no matter how many times you fail, you find different ways to come up and then succeed. So it must be something you love, not only because it's not something that you've seen people do and they are being successful at it. Otherwise, you may just end up being a duplicate of what already exists and people will start comparing you and it might work for you or work against you. So these are some of the quick points, I would say. But for me, I, I mean, right, I went in early. I did auditions. The plan was to choose one male, female, one male and one female host. But different people came with different personalities, different strengths. And so I was like, hey, let me start with six. And so I went out, put in a lot of resources, buying equipment, uh, paying these people. And it wasn't generating the kind of revenue and even the attention I thought it would. And so it sort of hit me, but I didn't let it break me. What I did was I cut down and narrow it more to what is working. Instead of doing everything I thought would work, just do what more of what was working. And over the period, I also made people aware of the kind of content we were doing. And so now uh, most of them come and people have already paid for the content. And so I'm, now, I'm not now looking for so many views so that I make money, etc. So these, are some of, these have been some of the growing pains we've had to go through with Amir TV. But uh, I, I believe we found ways that people are connecting with us across platforms. For our mind was YouTube, YouTube, there's uh, so much happening on YouTube. Let's be here. Let's make money here. But now the vision has changed. The model of uh, uh, monetization has changed also. So I think we are now on the good footing to see really what we can do in terms of this brand that we've created and we we, we love <laughs> it keeps chopping a lot of resources building up a studio and and all of that and so i'm really really seeing waiting to see when everything really makes full sense uh and my me and my team begin to really enjoy uh from what we we love doing so let's talk about monetization because you brought that up. Again, like all things, social media just keeps evolving, right? What Let's start tracking monetization from the blogging days and how it looked like to date. And most importantly, I want you to tell me the beginnings of influenza monetization because that is one of the most dominant forms of um, media, online media monetization now. There are people who are influencers who are online some of who just basically tweet, create content, and then get brands to pay them a lot of money to promote them. So tracking back from the very early days of your online journey with blogging, what were the different stages of monetization? And could you conclude with which of them are most potent now? I mean, I remember like yesterday, I mean, 
uh, I mean, especially when I was leaving Ghana Web because the owner thought I was now really competing with them in terms of where I had gotten to. And of course, that ultimatum came and I now had to make a decision to leave Ghana Web and focus fully on mine because it's difficult or it was difficult in the beginning to make money. But the easiest way for most of us was through Google AdSense. And even them, they've gone through a lot of changes. I remember back in the days, you needed an address in a, com in a country like America so that they would, once they approve you, they'll email some, some pin that you enter uh, and then they activate it. It was quite stressful. Even I remember I had to even open a foreign current, uh, currency account only because back then, they couldn't, I couldn't get money from Ghana directly and they had to cut me a check and I had to go and put it into an account. And then it came to a point where now Western Union was the only option you could use if you're in Ghana. And then now we've gotten to a point where you can put in your bank directly and then they pay you uh, directly when the revenue is, is, is realized. So for most of us, it was through AdSense. Uh, and then for me also, down the, the, the years, after I had gained that popularity, now people, uh, businesses would want to bring some direct advertising to me on the websites, other PR articles or direct banner placements, etc. And then, like you said, Fortunately, social media now also became a big thing and brands were now looking at how they could engage uh, with people. And I remember some of my earlier highlights coming from Samsung. I think the first gig I got was from Vodafone and I had to, I had to review their new singing competition. And really the money wasn't that big. Uh, they gave me some money and they gave me a tablet and then data and for, for me it was cool because a tablet now also gave me a tool i could use uh, to create content on the go etc so we went through all those stages to where we are now where now there's a plethora of influencers and different people are good for different sort of spaces uh, and influencer marketing has become a thing. Well, it's not a thing thing like in other other jurisdictions, especially the more mature markets like the US, etc. But we found our way, our own sort of way of doing influence some marketing, and I think it's working. Uh, the brands will tell you it's working, and for me, the joy is not always even the big brands. It's even just working with maybe a kinky seller and being able to do something and then 10 people call this hands and, and order. For me, those are the things that really, really make me know that at least you are impacting on somebody's life business uh, with your presence on, the, on, on, on these platforms. But yes, like you, you said in your introduction, social media has allowed for uh, influencers to emerge and you can you can tell influencers on Instagram are quite different influencers from 
Twitter are quite different from Snapchat are quite different, what they push, how they do it, and how people relate to them. It's all different. And I like that we've been able to get to a point where lots of young people are able to make a living, support family themselves just by being on social media. That is something that I truly appreciate. So let's talk about this ridiculousness of making money online. In your view now, if someone said they wanted to make money online via media, social media, what is that platform? What is the type of content that you really think gets people the fastest route to or the most sure route to? Is there a shortcut? Is there, from your experience, is there a way you can just blow or all of that is a fast and it takes time and you have to go through the, 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 the process. I think it's a combination of all of that. Some people have had to crack it for a long time before they sort of blow up. Others come in and within a short while, uh, they are doing things and getting getting it. Uh, so there is, for me, there isn't a sure way of doing it. But a cool way to look at it is that you know you have to come in, uh, you must create content, you must create a community, that your content will resonate with it and then you grow you grow it by engaging with them through content through uh, everything else that is like the rudimentary way to go uh, but people have cracked it in different ways especially in how some of the platforms allow for content to go viral the short formats content I think they've been they've been created to just do that and and so they're able to break boundaries and before you know you create content in Ghana, it's resonating with the world and people are commenting, sharing. Uh so that allows allows it. But when it comes to monetizing off of all of that, a lot of it will depend on the territory you find yourself. If you have a million followers on TikTok. Are Ghanaians looking in that space? Uh, are businesses, brands looking at what they can do with you because of that reach you have? And also, now another way to make money if you're not having direct engagement with the with the brands is the platforms themselves have created ways to monetize your content based on the traffic you're getting, based on how your fans want to reward you, either through coins, uh, whatever, and then stars or whatever, and then you, it, it becomes money at the end of the month. So that makes that levels the playground because you can get a million, say, engagements on TikTok, and because you are allowed to monetize off these engagements, you are making something. Whereas you can, if nothing was happening, you would now have to find ways to engage with somebody, somebody, some brand, so that you get money and then you create content for them. So uh, it, it's it's it, for now it's in two folds. It's people are making money based on the jobs that come to them and also of the, the, the monetization they are doing within the various platforms. I think even Twitter has started something. 
Uh, but from what I'm seeing, what I'm getting, what people are sharing, it's not so keen now. It's not so exciting. Facebook, again, based on your territories, uh, you may have access to monetize your videos, uh, even have bonuses. Uh, so that based on engagement, etc., on your content, you also earn extra. Instagram has also some platform, but uh, in Ghana, we are not monetizing much uh, on, on, on Instagram now. So TikTok, I, I believe, yes, when you reach a certain followership, you're able to go live and do the coin thing. And then there are other options that people are able to make money directly from the platforms also. So the more these platforms open it up to Ghana, African countries, then the more people, it becomes easy for people to monetize their presence online. So much of the content that is created on social media that has virality to it are comedic, they are funny, they appeal to people's sense of humor. Elsewhere, I think we can see more variations, people trying to do stuff in medicine and science communication and health, etc. What do you think are the opportunities and gaps in that nuance, balance, and I guess variable ways of storytelling either via even online channels like blogging channels, but also on social media that is missing in the Ghana and Africa media space at large? And do you feel like there is a space that needs to be filled and there's potentially money to be gained in that? Oh, yes. I, I, I do feel that, uh, like you rightly said, most of the popular culture things, they're already saturated. Everybody is doing, uh, doing it. And so for those who come up and become champions of these niche uh, areas, eventually now they become the front bearers that people will look out to if it's for environment, if it's for uh, tech, if it's for... Uh, science, health, uh, even economics. I, I believe those opportunities exist. And in this space, we haven't explored it fully because as these platforms sort of took off, it took off on the backs of those who were, who were creating more popular content. And so that became the aspiration for most people who were coming up. But when people think out of the box, I mean, now we have one thing that is moving in Ghana at least, is we having a lot of travel content creators. Uh, they are also owning the space and uh, taking all the opportunities that are coming in that space. People are doing food. Uh, and so once people take the lead and they become successful, people also behind or sitting down realize that there's potential in this space and then they can also follow or even look into places where uh, they can start and then become those front bearers. So like you said, we, there are lots of opportunities that exist. We should just explore it a lot, a lot more. And that's why I said it's important to build communities when you are starting off. Uh, if you're doing environment and you, you, you do it and you build a community of people who are interested in in environment that's a the starting point you engage with that community the community grows because members of it have people in their network and then it keeps it has that 
uh, effect of growing outside. So uh, building communities uh, for me is a key a key block building block in that online uh, presence and relevance. Uh, these communities could be people from your school. If you are doing science in secondary school, you, you can even start with your class, then the next class in the school, then the science class in, a in another school. And that's where the blocks build. You are building off something and then it grows from there. Taking out a futuristic look into the space, where do you see the space going? And what are your predictions for, say, the next decade? Obviously, to ask you that question is kind of to be asking you to be a prophet because the space, as we have discussed, has evolved and is constantly changing every single day. But what are some of the trends that indicate the potential of where the, of where the future might be? Yes, I mean, like you said, it's very difficult uh, predicting what this space that is ever so changing will look like in the next coming years. I'm seeing things like uh, artificial intelligence, AI, impacting in different ways. Maybe in the future, if I want to choose something, I'll just think it and then to be tweeted or exed. Uh, it is just amazing where we are, we are, we are heading. But uh, my hope, especially for us in Africa, is that we don't ever let it move faster and leave us behind. Uh, I think this growth, this surge uh, in this digital internet space, it's one thing that we have been carried along, so to say, and we, we, we've used it equally to our advantage and sometimes disadvantage. So my hope is that whatever it evolves into, we, um, we have the capacity to evolve with it and grow with it so that we as Africans don't get left behind. Yeah, I mean, I have a question, which is kind of a follow-up on what Isaac just asked, because he asked, like, yeah, where is it going in future? And then maybe if you can elaborate on maybe sustainability more in the terms of what do you think will not change and maybe how you use that within your business. So how do you ensure longevity in that kind of business? Because we spoke a lot about virality, trends, people coming up. But then you also see that some people come up, but then they also kind of disappear. And you, for instance, you have been in the space for quite an, a while. And how do you look at that and to ensure that you remain where you are or grow further? I think for sustainability, it's important to have that mindset that you want to evolve with what you're doing. And that is what ultimately uh, will sustain you. And for me, like I said, whenever something is happening, I want to get in early and then grow with it, uh, learn uh, what, what it requires to be in there and then grow, 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 and then grow with it. One thing that won't ever change is that whatever we do, whether it's AI, whatever it may be, it will be for people. And so we must understand the people we are working with them. We must engage with them, feel, let them feel we are part of us and let them understand you and then grow with you in every form and shape. Because uh, even if robots 
come to create the content or whatever, they'll be doing it for us human beings. And so having that human uh, approach, uh, even though we see it as digital, distant, social media, it's only a part of us because we bring ourselves to it. And uh, that is one thing that will never change, no matter how advanced uh, the technology becomes. And so for me, it should be key to, uh, for me and my team, because everybody must have a, a role to play. If somebody in my team is good at engaging Gen Zs and whatever content they like, it's for me to give that person space uh, and, and, and do that, but within what we want to do as a brand. So that's what I perhaps say in terms of sustainability. But that means also that within your team, because you have been speaking about the evolution, and when I look at social media, sometimes even as, not from a media perspective, but just as somebody who creates content, let's say for his business, what I fear sometimes is that you start to optimize for what you get results. And in, whilst you also maybe want to push out like something that aligns with your vision or like where you are heading to, and um, I don't know how you think about that, but I always fear a bit about that part. I think, yes, that's what I say. Sometimes you have to have that, know that you're human. Even if it's a business that you have created online, you have that human bit to it. And you understand that sometimes you succeed, some, sometimes you fail. And you give, you give what you're doing that same kind of, understanding and life so that you're not beating yourself up too much when one thing is working and the other is not working you understand that in the perfect world that's how it is uh i mean i remember working for other companies and everything was kpis everything was measured they wanted to know which part of the website is the heat map where are people clicking but for me my perception my, my thing has been they are human beings let's not try too hard to to know them and and, and 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 grab them all the time we should we should we should we should create and allow for people different people to fall in love with different content and not just what we expect or not just what every other person has created and people are liking so People are human beings. Some may like beings, some may, may not like it. So let's look out at the bigger picture, the bigger world, and grab something from everyone. Okay. This has been the Change Africa podcast with Ameo Debra. Ameo has been sharing insights on the evolution of Africa and Ghana, specifically digital online media space, the evolution in content monetization, his views on trends that have shaped the future, that have shaped the past and those that will shape the future. And it's been a very thrilling and insightful conversation. I mean, I thank you for coming to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed my time with you. Thank you. Thank you too. The Change Africa podcast is produced by Isaac Abua and Daniel Murky. It is executive produced by Tim Yarstratus, 
The theme music and digital production is by Daniel Quay and graphic design by Andrew Ayi. This podcast is a production of Nexa Media. Thank you.